You are listening to UBC Waco Podcast. <laughs> are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. As someone in the midst of major life transitions, I have never loved a passage of scripture more in my entire life than this one this week. That might be a little bit of an overstatement, but honestly, reading the complaints and the promises, the accusations and the confusion has been like water to me on this very hot week. So I ask you today, how is it for you? How does this passage feel to you today, week two of a new pastor? How does it feel as you are back to school, starting a new job, welcoming a new life, processing a new disappointment, fearing a doctor's appointment, avoiding a breakup, celebrating a new friendship? Whatever your particular brand of new is this morning, How does it feel to hear complaining and to hear an answer from God, to hear this sort of divine call and response that is embedded in our text? Is it hopeful, intimidating, sacrilegious? Maybe you were raised in a church context where questioning God was a sin, and you're sitting there trying to not look too uncomfortable, trying to be inconspicuous, as you listen to how the Israelites push back against the movements of God. Maybe you're newer to this church, faith, Jesus thing, and you did not know that complaining was an option. And what a whole new world this is for you. What an opportunity that we've handed you today. Well, for some context, our passage takes place just after Israel had been liberated from slavery. They were out of Egypt They'd set up camp next to an oasis, which is a very good call, and they had become a little snacky, you know, peckish. They could eat. Perhaps you could say they were bordering on hangry, and they did what all hangry people do. They blamed anyone and everyone they could as they romanticized how good things used to be. I am notorious for this when it comes to leftovers. The meal was meh the first time. Perhaps I even complained about it. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't necessarily good. But all of a sudden, it's the next day. It's 2 p.m. I realize I've not had breakfast or lunch, so I go for the leftovers. The leftovers of the meal I was ambivalent about at best. I complained about at worst. I said I would never make again. I open the fridge. Anticipation builds. I move the ketchup. I pull out the milk because why is it always in the way? But I cannot find the coveted leftovers. They're gone. And I am mad. Like unreasonably mad, (laughs) inappropriately mad. And my poor spouse, who heard me complain, who heard me say, I I don't think I'll ever make this again, suddenly has a life-size target on his back because I know he ate them. It's about to get ugly. 
Why does this happen, you might ask? That's a super valid question. And here's the answer. Because 2 p.m. in the afternoon, Andy believes that the missing meal was the best meal she has ever had. Chef's kiss. 2 p.m., Andy is a freaking gourmet. Gordon Ramsay adores her cooking, and that missing meal is the audition reel to the Culinary Institute of America. Silly, maybe, probably, yeah. But unfortunately, it isn't just the silly things that we romanticize, is it? Sometimes it's the relationship that ended because it was toxic and it needed to. And then it's Saturday night. There's a little chill in the air. Cuffing season is upon us. And that toxic relationship just doesn't seem so bad in retrospect. Maybe you romanticize a simpler time. A time when everyone wasn't so sensitive and you could say whatever you wanted and no one ever, ever, ever got offended. Now everything feels tricky. Everything's so PC. And you worry about not if, but when, you will say the wrong thing again. Maybe it's a past church or an old system of beliefs. Sure, they had their problems like, you know, Women were to be seen and not heard. But once an elder showed up at your door when you were sick, and that was really nice. Forget the fact that you were constantly scared that you would screw up beyond repair or redemption. Not only that, but your family seemed to embrace you a little bit more when you were a member there. And now... Now, with all your sacred doubts and questions and unbelief, your so-called lack of faith, parents don't seem to call as much. Whatever the situation is, it is oh so easy to remember our past through rose-colored sunnies, just like the Israelites did. Sure, they were enslaved, but they were fed. Yeah, okay, they were tortured, exterminated even, but their pots were filled with meat and they ate their fill of bread. So the whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam and they came to the wilderness and they were hungry. A lot is said in that verse, but ever so much is missing as well. The whole congregation of Israelites set out from Elam, and they were relieved. The whole congregation of Israelites set out from Elam, and they were scared. The whole congregation of Israelites set out from Elam, and they were deeply traumatized as a people. The whole congregation of Israelites set out from Elam, and they were lost and hopeful Reactive, defensive, liberated, autonomous, timid, courageous, grieving, healing, and so much more. And they did what we do so often. They turned their anxious energy inward 
to dream of a time that was always worse in actuality than they were willing to remember. You know, they talk a lot about God, but they don't talk to God. They guess at God's motives, but they do not extend the benefit of the doubt. And that's very understandable. Their relationship with God was at the very beginning as a people. And even in those things, God did what God does so often. God hears and God responds. I understand how many times scripture directs us to bring our requests directly before God. But I love this example. I love this example of the Israelites just putting their fears out into the world and still God responds, especially because their fears center on God's nature and character. God does not expect us to be formulaic or say the magic words. God does not only hear us when we are attempting to eloquently speak directly to the divine. Every thought, feeling, tear was held and heard by God and without even being asked. Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. God initiated connection with an invitation to draw near. God responded to complaints with intimacy. The Lord spoke to Moses, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. God directly addressed the elements that the Israelites were romanticizing, pots of meat and their fill of bread. And God addressed something that was not even spoken. Who are we and who are you? God invited the Israelites to take off their rose-colored sunnies and find a new way of seeing the world, a fresh perspective, through the lens of knowing that God would meet them in their cries, in their fears, in their hopes, their resilience, and their trauma, and that God is the Lord, their God. One of my favorite parts of the story is at the very end, verse 15, when the Israelites saw it, it being the little flakes on the dew, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. In the midst of their fear, in the midst of their adjustment to a new and brave reality, in the middle of transition, the Israelites did not lose their curiosity. I don't know what they were expecting. I don't know if their question was anything more than a simple wondering out loud. But I like to think of this as another invitation. What if we decide we want to stay curious, more awake to what is happening around us? 
What if we decide we want to be more aware of what God might be bringing into our lives, even if it doesn't look quite like what we hoped? What if we considered the possibility that there might be something beautiful in the inevitable transitions of this life? I have found profound glimmers of hope and healing and grace in some of my darkest times. These little glimmers have provided a way back to God and back to myself when I did not think that that was possible. And I'm not saying that the good or the growth or the glimmers will overtake the pain. I wish I could say that. I wish that were true. I can't, and it's not. But I want to be the kind of human who turns to curiosity and to wonder as a way of operating in the world. I want to be the kind of human who takes off rose-colored versions of the past and even rose-colored versions of the future and look with authentic bravery, if only just a little bit of it, to what's coming into my life next. I hold on to the goodness of a God who hears us complain, who sees us cry, who watches us turn away, and who responds, even though we didn't even ask for a response. UBC, as we go about our lives, may we remember that we are seen and heard by the God who responds. May we allow that to form and shape us in the ways of Christ. And may we embrace the glimmers of beauty, hope, and grace that inevitably await us, even in the darkness of fear and the mire of transitions. At this time, we're just going to take some space, invite the Spirit to speak to us. Perhaps she will remind you of something that you once knew, Perhaps she will teach you something new, but as we observe, I mean, we listen with curiosity and with wonder.